In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Today marks the halfway point of the Lenten season. We've completed three weeks, and we have three weeks to go. Our focus so far has been spiritual development, growing in faith and repentance, drawing nearer to and having a closer walk with the Lord, learning to really depend upon Him and to trust Him. This all involves our sanctification, our progress in holiness. To that end, the Gospels for the first three Sundays have each dealt with devils. On the first Sunday in Lent, for example, we saw the Lord Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. On the second Sunday, we read the encounter between him and the woman of Canaan, whose daughter was grievously vexed with the devil. And last Sunday, it was the man who could not speak because of the demon within him. In each case, Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, was victorious. In each case, he demonstrated the authority and power of God the Holy Trinity by defeating Satan, casting out the demon. And by doing so, we may be encouraged in our own temptations and spiritual battles. We are not alone. I think that's one really for the bathroom mirror or for the fridge. We are not alone. The God of Jacob is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The Lord of heaven and earth, through his incarnation, suffering, death, and resurrection, has assured us of his power of his omnipotence to save us and deliver us from the attacks of our enemy. This morning's gospel emphasizes the power of God to save us and deliver us. Indirectly, it emphasizes this message indirectly through the feeding of the 5,000 souls. It's the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. So a huge crowd of people had followed Jesus to what a couple of the Gospels call a lonely place. St. Luke is more specific. He says they followed him to the town of Bethsaida at the north end of the Sea of Galilee. Some scholars think that the people who followed Christ on this day could have walked nine miles in order to be with him. In any case, the point is, it had been a long day of traveling, a long day of teaching and healing, and we come to the point of this morning's gospel. We can only try to imagine the individual circumstances and situation situations that were present among all those people. There were all sorts and conditions of people. There were some who would have had physical disabilities. 
some with sicknesses, some in pain, others in mental anguish, some who would have been demon-possessed. There would have been the fearful, and there would have been some who were depressed. St. Mark's account says that Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That really says it, sheep without a shepherd, amongst this crowd of 5,000 plus souls. Of course, there are times when we ourselves have felt this way, like sheep without a shepherd. There are those times when everything seems to be closing in on us. And this pandemic time has certainly been, for some, one of these. Nothing is going right, we feel. In fact, circumstances are in reverse, going from bad to worse. We feel alone and abandoned. We wonder where the Lord is. These times happen to us even when we're trying our best. And sometimes they come upon us without any fault of our own. All of a sudden, bang, a sickness, an accident, a fall, a setback arrives out of the blue. In those cases, as the gospel two weeks ago said, we have no power of ourselves to help ourselves. In an instant, perhaps overnight, everything can change. And there we are, totally dependent and in need, like those people in this morning's gospel. So this is the point, really, of today's gospel. What it's showing us is that we are just people. This is our human condition. We are mere mortals. Try to look amongst that crowd. Picture yourself there if you would. There we are. It's the end of the day. We have no power of ourselves to help ourselves. There we are with some infection or disease or trouble that's beyond our network of fixing. We have no power of ourselves to help ourselves. We are needy and totally dependent in spite of what the culture tells us and in spite of what I might think about myself on a really good day. We require an intervention, a divine intervention. We need the Lord Jesus, the one who from last week is the stronger man. Our sins and shortcomings, all of our human defects have rendered us spiritually hungry and weak. So we can see ourselves in that crowd. The critical thing this morning is not just this little boy's barley loaves and fish. The critical thing for us to grasp is the body and blood of Christ. Using the occasion of this gathering, the Lord shows us that the food every human being desperately needs is the bread of life. That's what today's gospel is about. Jesus has the supply of bread required. Indeed, 
He is himself both the supply and the supplier. Jesus takes, uh, he takes the, the uh, five barley loaves and multiplies them because he is the one through whom all things were made in heaven and in earth. He's the second person of the Trinity, the God-man, the Savior of the world. He tells us, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. That is the Lord speaking to us this morning. I am the bread of life, he says. There's a preview in today's gospel. It's subtle, but it is real nonetheless, and it has everything to do with what we're talking about, the bread of life. When Jesus took that little boy's loaves and gave thanks to God and broke them, he was doing what he would do at the Passover meal on the night before his crucifixion. It is a preview of what is to come. He would take, on, on, the, on Monday, Thursday, he, will, he would take the bread and give thanks and say, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In spite of our best efforts, we cannot fix ourselves. Through the sin of Adam and Eve and through our own sins, we are fallen and flawed. We're spiritually bereft. We're hungry. The culture offers us food, but it cannot satisfy that deepest longing because there is always this problem in the back of our hearts and in the back of our minds, this problem that we need to be right with God. We need to be healed of our brokenness. We're in constant need of a, of a supply of God's hope, forgiveness, love, and assurance. In His infinite mercy, our Heavenly Father has supplied all of this through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the point that brings us to grace. And that's what the colic this morning is emphasizing, God's grace. The parable is about the bread of life given to us because of God's grace. The multitude was fed not because they had arranged at the last minute for a caterer and not because somebody went fishing and got a big catch and shared it. The multitude was fed and satisfied solely by the grace and goodness of Almighty God. The connecting here is that Christ came down from heaven, not because we deserved him, but because of his mercy and grace. He subjected himself to humiliation and shame and suffering not because we did something special, but simply because of God's abundant grace. He submitted himself to the agony of torture. He shed his precious blood on the cross to provide the full 
perfect sacrifice for our sins, not because we are worthy, but because He is gracious. In a recent CBC interview, and I'm not sure if it was a rerun, uh, a rerun or whether it was uh, actually this past week, recorded this past week, the Church of England priest and poet Malcolm Geek described grace as God's unwillingness to accept human failure. God's unwillingness to accept human failure. Grace. God's grace. That definition seems to fit really well with what St. Paul told the church in Rome. You know this verse. Paul said, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. St. Paul writes in today's epistle, Jerusalem which is above is free. In other words, Jerusalem is God's gift to us. We don't deserve it. We cannot earn it. The door of heaven is open to us only because of what Jesus has done. This is life-giving and life-changing news. May we be moved to repentance and faith by God's grace through His Son. The architecture of the church is set up so that we would come in and see immediately a sign, a physical sign, a representation that takes us to God's grace. When, when you come in, the focus is on the Lord's table or the altar. And basically it says, look what God has done for you. There's not a there is not um, a, a drum set as front and center. There is the altar which says, look at what God has done for you. On either side of the altar, the lectern and the pulpit. So what God has done for us is proclaimed in his word. What we receive in the Holy Communion, in the precious body and blood of Christ, is proclaimed and set forth in the Bible. At the back of the church, the first thing that we see coming through the door is the font that again speaks of God's grace. He makes us his children. It's not because we're good enough. He washes us on the inside by the power of his Holy Spirit. So the whole thing is about his unwillingness to accept human failure. The church would not be here if God did not accept human failure. It's not that we can aim low then, that's not what I'm saying. 
But God is so patient and so merciful. And he has come to us in the person of his son in order to save us. That last hymn, a good old evangelistic one, says it all in two words. Jesus saves. There's a sidebar, and this is the closing point today. Not really, well, it's a point. It's a sidebar that deserves mention. And I think it really connects with our response to God's grace. This grace has been poured out, and what's, what do we do? The sidebar comes from William Barclay, a Church of Scotland minister who taught at the University of Glasgow. Simply, he urged his readers to consider the little boy in today's gospel. He wrote, the little boy had not much to offer, but in what he had, Jesus found the materials for a miracle. Mysteriously, Jesus needs what we can bring him. It may not be much, but he needs it. It may well be that the world is denied miracle after miracle and triumph after triumph because we will not bring to Jesus what we have and what we are. If, if we would lay ourselves on the altar of his service, there's no saying what he could do with us and through us. We may be sorry and embarrassed that we have not more to bring, but that is no reason for bringing what we have. Little is always much in the hands of Christ. He uses the word need. There is a mystery in all of that. Why the Lord continues to work through his church, this broken and divided body. It is true, he calls us his body. Christ wants to use our hands, our lips, our feet. He wants to take what we will offer him. And in the gospel, it's five barley loaves and two small fish. Little, little is always much in the hands of Christ who is unwilling to accept human failure. Now unto God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, be ascribed all might, majesty, dominion, power, honor, and glory, as is most justly due, henceforth and forevermore. Amen. Amen.